Hello friends, I'm Todd Martin, and this is my eighth Sunday preaching without Smithville Mennonite Church. I don't know about you, but this last month and a half has been like a whirlwind of activities and emotions. I'm doing stuff I've never done. Zoom meetings and small groups, conference calls and YouTube live prayer times, radio and podcast preaching. I'm buying elastic and thread. I'm delivering masks and toilet paper. I'm doing stuff I never thought I'd be doing. But I'm glad I can, and I am. At the same time, I'm feeling things. Uncomfortable, unfamiliar, unrelenting emotions. I get fearful, angry, questioning, and sad. The swing of my moods caught me the other day, and I realized, no, wait, I've been here before. I don't want to be where I am, and maybe you are here too. And if that's the case, then at least in this emotional place, we are together. What am I even talking about? I came to realize in this last week or so that I'm grieving. I was able to recognize a pattern and see it as the same one I'd been in before years ago. Some of you know my story because you know me. Some may know it if you were at Smithville Mennonite 10 years ago when I shared it before. But for those who don't know my story of grief, let me share it briefly with you. As a child, I only knew grief that made sense small disappointments and sadnesses that passed quickly. Of death, I remember one set of grandparents died when I was eight or nine years old. They were older, and Grandpa died of complications to Alzheimer's, and Grandma died shortly after of a broken heart. I didn't really know them very well, but that was the only deaths that really registered from my childhood. But then, starting my freshman year in high school, grief came into my life like a storm. I remember as a freshman sitting in my first period class and the announcement came over the speaker that Beth had died. This was a girl who rode my bus, a bubbly cheerleader who lived in the woods down the road from me. She committed suicide, and she was 17 years old. I don't remember if there was a funeral, but if there was, I didn't go. Then my sophomore year, Kevin died. He had been on a bike trip with me the previous summer, and we accepted Christ the same night. He died of brain cancer. He noticed one day practicing basketball, he started missing the ball when he'd dribble. The cancer took him in a few months. He was only 16. I went to his funeral, and it was awful. It was so unnatural and just seemed wrong to see this boy who was so full of life drained of it. My junior year, Jane, a beautiful girl I grew up with who lived around the block from me, was killed in a car accident. She was my friend, 
And though I didn't want to go to her funeral, I went because I didn't know what else to do. I missed her terribly. She was 17. Then my senior year, Todd and John, two friends who graduated a year before me, were killed by a drunk driver. I did not go to their funerals. I was sick of death. I decided I just wouldn't go to any more funerals for kids. The next summer, on June 29, 1989, my younger brother, Ross, died in a bicycle accident. He was 13 years old. Over the next year or so, I went into a whirlwind of activities and emotions that made me question my faith and my sanity. With the help of caring and professional people, I learned that I was grieving. This is what I see I'm going through today, and maybe you are too. Though thankfully, we may not all be grieving the loss of a loved one. I believe we're all grieving the loss of something. The loss of connection with family and friends. The loss of jobs and pay. The loss of prom, sports, drama, and celebrations of all kinds. We are missing our lives the way they were before and how they may never be again. This is a weird kind of grief, but I believe it is grief nonetheless. So how do we navigate this journey through the darkness and despair? The Bible shows us how and highlights the normal process of grieving. Christ followers and Jesus himself experienced this process, and this is why I call this process good grief. And this is the point of today's sermon. If you want to jot this down, it's the whole sermon in a sentence. Good grief leads you through the hurting to the healing at God's speed. Again, good grief leads you through the hurting to the healing at God's speed. This is a five-stage process that I will put three disclaimers on first. First, I present these in an order, but not all people will follow this order. Next, people can swing back to a stage they already went through and go through again. Finally, there are no time limits to these stages. What one person may go through in days, another may take years or even decades to go through. All that said, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 11. Many of my Smithville Mennonite church people uh, know that we just got done reading through the Gospels in 90 days, and now I'm backtracking a bit. As I read through the Gospels, I kept thinking, oh my, this needs to be preached on, or we need to go back and catch this. And so here we are. For my purposes today, I'll be highlighting the five stages of the grieving process as experienced by Jesus and his followers. In a powerful story of faith and fear, grief and glory, this is the account of Lazarus's death and return from the grave. Let's pick up the story in verse 17 of chapter 11. 
Jesus has just arrived, days after the funeral. I'm in John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Your subpoint for verses 17 through 20. Mary and Martha are blown away. All five stages that I'm going to describe are BAs. In other words, words that start with a B and an A to help us remember them. The first is blown away. We see the sisters in verse 20 confused as to what to do. One goes to Jesus, the other doesn't. There is a sense of what do we do now? We can seem disoriented or dazed. Many call this stage shock. This is definitely me at the beginning of the virus. Questions are asked like, what's going on? What do I do now? Where do I go? When you are blown away or in shock, you need to just catch your breath. But it's often hard to do, as Martha ran frantically, or even Mary, who chose to isolate instead. Both running and isolating are classic responses to shock or being blown away. Let's keep reading in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Here is a cluster of stages. First in verse 21, let me give you the subpoint. Martha expresses burning anger to Jesus. This second stage of grief is burning anger. When you say things like, why did this happen? Or more directly, God, why did you let this happen? Shaking your fist in the air. Did you know that it's okay to get angry? Even at Jesus, and here's why. He can handle it. It's no sin to be angry. In fact, the Bible says, in your anger, do not what? Sin. So the question is, what will you do in your anger? What will you do with the energy your anger generates? May I suggest you take it to Jesus and see what he does with it. Your subpoint for verses 22 and 24, Martha is begging answers. Martha is in the third stage I call begging answers. And is talking out loud. She is affirming her faith, yet also having no clue as to what Jesus is going to do. This is the step where we try to make sense of the situation. With this virus, I found myself listening to all the talks I could to try and make sense of what was happening. This is also known as the bargaining stage. We try to tell ourselves, oh, this isn't so bad. Then we swing to 
No, this is really bad. This is an emotional roller coaster stage. This is when we may think one day, I think I have the virus. And the next day we may think, I'll never get this virus. Do you find yourself burning or begging? Let's talk about it. Let the anger out. Ask the questions. It's all part of healing that is good grief. Now look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary at the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? Your subpoint for verses 32, 33, and 35. Even Jesus had a bummed attitude. Here we reach the bottom emotionally. We have a bummed attitude. Look at Mary. She falls at Jesus' feet. She is expressing a little burning anger and then begins weeping. And in verse 35, we read not only the shortest verse in the Bible, but I believe to be one of the most important verses. Why is that? Because I believe in this life, from beginning to end, we have those moments that we are crushed. We are broken and battered by the simple cruelty of life and death. And it's in those moments we need a God who can and will weep with us. This is a God who will comfort us in our sadness and hold us through our nightmares. I know when my brother died, I struggled with overwhelming sadness. Our relationship had not been good, and I was haunted by that. I could hear him breathing in our room at night, even though I knew he wasn't there. I went back to college and was helped by my campus pastor who directed me to a counselor who walked me through my depression and helped me crawl out of it. I owed a debt of thanks to Pastor Martha and Counselor Russ. Do you need help too? Reach out. 
Do you know someone who needs help? Reach in to them. I would only caution you as you reach to them, be careful what you say. Less is often more. And there are a few things you should never say in these stages. The first being, I know exactly what you're going through. Don't say that. You should not say that mostly because it's just not true. Everyone's relationship and experiences of loss are unique. We can have similar trauma, but it's never the same. I remember when my brother died being at the calling hours and one of my teachers came in. Mrs. Berg came into the funeral parlor and we were in line and I saw her crying. She was crying the whole time she moved through the line and when she got to me, she just wept even more. And then she moved her way out of the funeral parlor. Afterwards, I asked someone who knew her why she was so upset. Was it really just my loss? And they said, no, she had three brothers who she had seen pass away. You see, she didn't need to say anything because she understood like few people could. The second thing you should never say is this. This is all for the best, or this will all work out for good. While this may be true, it is insensitive at best and just plain mean at worst. This is the emotional equivalent of giving a person with broken ribs a big bear hug. It may seem like a nice thing to comfort them with, but only after that person would heal. Otherwise, you will only cause more pain and damage. The last thing you should never say is, aren't you over that yet? This is just mean and shows an ignorance to how people recover. When someone is indeed recovered, there will be signs. They will smile more and cry less. They will have more energy and seem better. Assume a person is still grieving till they tell you they aren't. And Lord willing, they'll enter the last stage, which is the one we see in verses 37 through 45. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, By this time there will be a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Verse 40, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. Verse 44, and this is your last subpoint. Lazarus was better after. The final stage of grief is recovery, or what I call better after. This is when we arrive at the place that our pain is manageable, or perhaps we even have freedom from the pain. We begin to smile and laugh again without guilt or regret. This is a place we can again see the sunshine as we emerge from the darkness of our sadness. I know in my own experience it was often retrospectively observed as things got better after that first Christmas or birthday. Others have told me things got better after the grandchild was born, better after college started, better after the next game or drama. Whatever milestone you approach and pass along the way and realize after the fact that you now feel better, not best, not fixed, but undoubtedly better than before. And you can thank God for this. No one will talk you into this stage. No book or video or seminar will bring you to this stage. Only God who made your heart can heal your heart, slowly but surely, helping you recover and be better than before. In our text, we didn't really pay much attention to Lazarus, but after all, he had died. I can't imagine the grief he went through. This sudden illness likely made him grieve his loss of health, family, friends, and then even his life in a matter of days. He undoubtedly grieved his loss through all the stages. He could, and then he was gone. In Lazarus, we see the ultimate better after. He is better after coming back to life. Needless to say, this was not a common experience, but an extreme example of holding on to hope. I would imagine Lazarus had a choice, even in the grave when Jesus called his name to say, Nope, I'm dead. I'm not going through that life. It's too hard, and I'll probably just die again. He didn't think that. He didn't say that. He got up and out, back to life again. This is the greatest hurdle in getting better after the loss has passed. The sheer ability to get up and get going. Yet if we have Jesus in us, calling us out of our grief and loss, how can we not answer that call? How can we not come out of the grave? There is no question, Lazarus died again. He could have even been murdered, as was plotted by Jesus' enemies. But he died with the profound knowledge that death is not the end. Nor is any earthly grief. Though it may seem that way, these five stages, blown away, burning anger, 
begging answers, bumming attitude, and better after are milestones on the journey from darkness to light. To conclude, I want to give you a few things you can say to those grieving that will help them move towards healing. The first is, I can't imagine your pain. Next, I wish I could take the pain away. And finally, I'm sorry. I will call you later and check on you. Those are all things that you can say, and I'll mention them again because they're so brief yet so good. First, I can't imagine your pain. Next, I wish I could take the pain away. Finally, I'm sorry. I will call later and check on you. As we grieve together, I pray that we will heal and find hope, even as we are apart. And may the God of peace who stands between us, stretching out over the gap in our fellowship, reach you wherever you are, and may you know you are loved even today. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, for weeping with us through our losses and in our pain. Help us to do the same for those around us who need your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.